A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What act are going back and forth? Got an ass like an amphitheater. It begins with a U. It ends with an A. There's a meal initial there. Monday Night Raw, number to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review as the other Cultaholic lads are busy getting themselves primed, getting their bodies ready for an amazing rest of August filled with wrestling shenanigans. We are here via our Ica Pro powered DeLorean back in the weird old mid-90s where our bodies are ready for the first ever Force Count Anywhere match, where our bodies are ready for the first ladder match in WWF in, in properly ever, but we'll get to that in a bit. And our bodies are ready for Earthquake versus Ludwig Borger? Surely not. And who be we? I be Fake Geordie, radio presenter without portfolio former former cultaholic heavyweight champion tom campbell i be with the bear in the big blue bar cage the head pen from cultaholic who doesn't need a pencil he gets it right every time there is justin henry and he is off of america you see the fun part about being the head pen is that nobody challenges me for my title no exactly you don't have a head penmanship prediction contest do you no not a big draw. Oh, I get it. I get it. It's because you're pen. Okay. <laughs> Are you well this week, sir? Do we find you in good form? Uh, actually, yes, because this was actually a very good episode of Monday Night Raw. Oh, wasn't it just? It was simple. It was down to basics, but it was great. It's almost, a, it's almost like, you know, the... Ma- the whole majesty of WrestleMania is making them forget that they're supposed to be a bad company at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're all they're focused intently on being a, a, an actual focused, laser sharp product. And and I will say, we'll get to the specific specific examples throughout the show here. But even their shoehorned pop culture references felt seamless this week. They did actually to the point where a couple of them sort of flew by without me even noticing. Yeah, it's not like uh, Vince was going like, hey, so, uh, you know, they say 47% of all adult men um, floss their anuses with uh, with silly string. Did you know that? And it's like, no, no I didn't know that, Vince. And they just... <laughs> what a maneuver! <laughs> yeah, these were actually, um, actually tied into what was going on, and they were actually sensible. So for once, it's like, as you, as you noted, it is a laser-sharp product this week. Very, very big fan of this. So, Justin, where and when are we for Monday Night Raw this week? Well, this is very interesting. 
because this is the start of a brand new taping. This is uh, February 21st of 1994, uh, President's Day here in the United States. And it is live from the Mid-Budson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. But here's the weird thing. I don't know why they did it this way. Next week's show was taped on January 31st from the previous uh, Bushkill tapings. Oh, so they they jumped around a little bit then. Yeah, so they jumped back to Bushkill for, for, for next week's show. Then the show after that is back to Poughkeepsie here. And after that is the um, March to WrestleMania show, also from Poughkeepsie. Well, actually, that's Poughkeepsie and another location melded together, which will will cross that bridge when we get there, and then it's WrestleMania. So they have a very odd taping schedule here. Oh, how very odd! But I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there is a method to the madness. <laughs> or they just said, "Hey, we screwed up." I mean, there is that as well. There is that as well. But yeah, as we say, super laser sharp focus this week. And it starts off with the return of one of our favorites. Well, first, before we get to that, I have to make two notes here about this particular taping, since we're on the subject here. There were two dark matches on this show, both of whom involved guys getting tryouts. One of whom, our old friend Jobber John Paul, you know, the very talented John Paul. Oh, Yes. He got a victory over a certain local talent. And I think it's local because he's from Pennsylvania originally. This man would be known as Crash the Terminator, a.k.a. Bill DeMott. No way! They had a shot at getting the agile heavyweight Bill DeMott and didn't sign him. He would have, like, I could, I could easily see him in mid-90s WWF, couldn't you? Actually, the Hugh Morris look, so like the big guy with colorful with colorful singlet that yeah that would have been a solid look for mid-90s wwf i wonder why they didn't sign him that's that's actually an interesting uh you know one that got away there and yeah he... i wonder what happened there then why that didn't occur but um do you say there was two was there two matches yes the other match this one this guy would get signed he went over on reno riggins another veteran enhancement talent I'm going to tell you what the guy's name was for his match, and I want you to guess who this was, if you can. I'll give you okay. three guesses. The man's name, is, and this is, I don't know, I'm not sure if this is a good name for a wrestler or a bad name. I'll let you decide. His ring name was Rocco Gibraltar. Rocco Gibraltar. As in Rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> okay, Rocco, who would that have been? Mid-90s... He was um, signed that year, and he had a bad gimmick. Mad Mountain, Mad Mountain Rock. No, he was still masking WC Dub at this point. Can I get a clue? Um, very active on Facebook today. Buff Bagwell. <laughs> no. Um. Oh, what's his name? Um, uh, from American Males. It's not him either. Okay. I'll just be curious. It is not Scotty Riggs. It's, it's certainly not L.A. Gore. He's not active on any social media. Um, I like how you're guessing guys who were either in shape or like, <laughs> like, 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 like he's built solid like a rock. Okay. So it's somebody that's not... Taz. Peter Sinertia. It is not Peter Sinertia. Oh, uh, you're going to have to tell me. The Dumpster Drosy. No, nice. I wouldn't have got that in a million years. But I love that. I like that he had a role pre-Bin Man. 
<laughs> well, actually, that's kind of interesting because the rumor as to why he was hired in the 1993 PWI 500, he, he was ranked number 500. And his name at the time was Garbage Man. Just simply Garbage Man. <laughs> and the, he can't have been that garbage if he made bloody number 500. <laughs> well, well, as the story goes, Vince inquired as to who number 500 was, discovered him and said, you know what, I'm going to make him a star. Sign him. Really? Is that how that happened? Well, that's that's the old wives' tale. I don't know how true that is. I could see Vince and his hubris deciding, you know what? I'm going to turn number 500 into number one. Let's do this. Yeah, I can believe that Vince did that, actually. This is a very notable taping. We have Hugh Morris and Duke Drosy in dark matches. Wow. Well, there you go. And both would kind of go on to establish a little bit of mid-card status in the next year or so. I will say, for as um, for as maligned as Duke is for being a uh, you know the garbage man wrestler, his his tilt the world power slam trash compactor move was nice. Yeah, I liked the trash compactor as a finisher. It was solid. Duke had some size to him, and he he was he was fairly agile, and he actually had a pretty good look to him. And he's actually a pretty funny guy, so it's kind of, it's kind of a shame that he was saddled with you know a gimmick that, that only had so high of a ceiling. Did he do anything after he was Duke the Dumpster Drosy? I think he may have worked like in Indies in Florida for a while and then kind of faded from the business. I think he works at, at a um, some sort of rehab facility in Tennessee now, actually, from some of the stuff I've researched for the what happened to that wrestler pieces. Well, it's nice to know that somebody from wrestling in the 90s just works at a rehab center and is in a rehab center. <laughs> uh, rehabbing from being the dumpster, I guess. I think it probably very well might be. I mean, for in terms of bad gimmicks, I guess being the wrestling garbage man, it could have been worse. I mean, it's pro wrestling; it's meant to be a little silly. I I think it's one of those things where you yeah, like you say, he could have been he could have been giving of all the things that happened, all the gimmicks that came through the revolving door that is the WWF at this point. The a garbage man is not the worst. <laughs> he would have fit in the Attitude Era in the Hardcore Division. His trash can full of weapons. Oh my God! Yeah, he'd be like a just just a, an unmartial Steve Blackman. He took the exit too early there, time-wise. <laughs> what else did he find at the dump this week? Oh my God! It's a uh, it's a trash bag full of you know lard. It's kind of head with that. It was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That'd been a great curse out gimmick. <laughs> so, so we come back to the live portion of these Poughkeepsie tapings. Get a funny moment to start the show as they play the Quebecer scene by accident before going into Randy Savage's music. Yeah, I thought I heard something when I played it through that didn't sound quite right. Ah, uh, the perils of live TV. We'll of that post. We're live. Damn it. <laughs> I tell you what, though, the crowd were up for it when Savage came out. Every time he comes out, the crowd are up for it. He's the biggest star in the company. He's Macho Man Randy Savage. He's the biggest name they have other than Brett. And he's bigger than Brett at this point in history and probably still is all time if you think about it. That's Vince true. Make, Vince makes sure to say, unquestionably, a man who will one day be in the WWF Hall of Fame. It'll take some time. It's, <laughs> would it be, what year did he go in? What year did he 20, go in? 2015. 
2015. So Vince was only 11 years out, really. Oh, no, 21, 21 years out. I keep forgetting that the 90s wasn't a decade ago. Yeah, I, mean, I believe me, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> sign of the Times, Fan sneaks in a hello RSPW sign. <laughs> oh, really? Holding up I'm Vince's head there. Oh, I didn't spot that. Internet started to become a thing. I was too busy Coming watching thing. watching Macho Man hot dogging and grandstanding. Yeah, Savage did a really weird bit here, and, and, and dare I say, as much as I love Mach, it's kind of a lame bit. Mm-hmm. Where he um, he's talking about it's President's Day and the president is here. Now I'm thinking that either means Jack Tunney's here, or he's going to segue into the Bill Clinton imposter that pops up occasionally during this time frame. I was predicting the Bill Clinton imposter. So it's like, like the president really Bill Clinton is, is, is in Podunk, Poughkeepsie, New York, really? Is, is, no, it's the head of the Macho Man Fan Club. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, so is Jack Tiny head of the this work? And it's, it's me, I'm the president of the Macho Man <laughs> Fan Club. And Vince is kind of flummoxed there for a moment. You know they say Lord Michaels, the head of Saturday Night Live, hates when, when actors improvise. I think Vince understood that mindset at that moment. <laughs> yeah, that was that? that was a weird improvisational moment. <laughs> I mean, Savage is just freeforming it, and Vince wasn't sure where to go with that, so they kind of just hastily move on. We find out who the mystery heavenly body is is facing Brett tonight, and it is the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. I was wondering all week long, which heavenly body was it going to be? You didn't bother to look ahead just to appease your curiosity? Nope, I'm trying to be really good with these, and I'm trying to not spoil it for myself. Honestly, I I actually worked myself because I was going to be Del Rey. I had this sort of Mandela effect memory of Brett wrestling Del Rey at some point, and I thought it was going to be the match. Well, I was wrong. Did you work yourself into a shoot? I sure did, brother. <laughs> so we start off with the tag team title match. It is the Quebecers versus Razor Moon and Marty Jeanette. Oh, no, it's the one, two, three kid. Now, you did say to me that we wouldn't get that particular match last week. So what's what's the crack here? What's the deal? Well, allow me real fast to pull up uh, Bret Hart's memoirs. Because, he, <laughs> because Bret Hart, who is remembers everything that happened during the course of his career, including all the peripheral stuff. Here's the detail on this one. And let me just thumb through real fast. 1994, here we are. Because we were meant to get um, Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty versus the Quebecers. And it would have been a nice little storyline accoutrement, if you will, had we mm-hmm. seen um, Shawn Michaels' former tag team partner challenging for the tag belts with Shawn mm-hmm. Michaels' opponent for WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. That was what I was kind of hoping they were going to go for. Marty's last match occurred on February 6th of 1994. He was beaten by Diesel in, in Dortmund, Germany, during the company's European tour. Here's the paragraph straight from Brett's book. While checking out of the hotel at 4.30 a.m., I saw the tour manager, an efficient, serious little Scotsman named Jake, doing his best to sort out the wrestler's unpaid bills. Marty Jannetty, drunken and red-eyed, was barely able to stay standing, as Jake tried to go over his bill with him. Scotty Steiner steamed across the lobby, ripped the bill out of Jake's hand, and slapped it down on the front desk, pinning it with one finger on his right hand. 
while with his left hand he put his he put his finger to his nostril and blew nasty green snot across it. <laughs> but, but that's immaterial in this next part. But by the time we landed in Rome to make our connection to Israel, Marty had been fired again and was already on a plane home. Oh my God! Not for what Scott did, but I, I, I guess for this other debauchery. Yeah, for for being drunk and disorderly and. Would, th would this been in the morning when they were checking out? I would assume so. Well, if, if, if Marty's drunk and red-eyed, who knows what may have gone on before then. Oh, jeez. Marty. And so Marty is going to be gone for about a year and a half before he, just, before he comes back to the company. But this and is kind of say... the end of his, like, proper run, isn't it? Because, like, we, we will, he'll be back and he'll do... I think we'll, we'll see him a bit with Al Snow, but I feel like this is... Sort of the end of the the, the the best years of Marty Jannetty. He does have a decent run as a babyface singles in, in late 95 before they decide, hey, let's put the Rockers back together with a different guy. And So he does get one more decent little run there to start out when he comes back. But then after that, it, it, it is the pale imitator of Sean and Marty. So yes, it is Razor versus Kid. And Vince actually acknowledges Jannetty by name, which is weird at this point, because usually when somebody's gone, you just stop mentioning them. They were, he was happy to talk about him quite openly. Like, like, he says Jannetty's not here, but to say why he's not here. Yeah. Do you think maybe I Vince can... thought there might be an opportunity to bring him back so he didn't want to completely take his name out of people's mouths? I want to assume so, because I, 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 I keep harkening back to that one Sean Waltman interview he did where he talked about how Marty could be hung over or borderline passed out under a table in the locker room. Hey, Marty, you're on. Hook got 15 minutes. You, you couldn't tell. Even slightly, you couldn't even tell. It was so seamless as how great he'd been in the ring. And go back to the locker room and then just almost pass out again. How he was he was that great of a performer that he could mask any hindrance he may have had in that moment. He was an absolute pro. Uh, yeah, in more ways than one. So, kids here with his new outfit. He's got a it's a red top for the singlet with white pants, and he still he still has a very noticeably a very noticeable limp to him because he still has a bad knee, and it, it's very different throughout this entire match. He tore his meniscus a month earlier. So is this, so is this a a kayfabe hobble or is this like Sean Mottman is being forced to return to the ring now? I think it's legitimate because if you notice, Razor was in for a lot of the match. Yeah, to try and take some of the heat off a of kid, this kid. I don't know how long a meniscus takes the heat to fully heal, but it's only been a month at this point. So, kid, is he's doing what he can at this point in the match. We get a really cool spot where Razor picks him up, picks Kid up, and throws him into Pierre with the fallaway slam. That was That's cool. A movie I'll see. It's a movie I'll see every day. Just to further date this match, Ravens are ringside wearing a starter warm-up outfit. <laughs> it was. I thought he looked great this week. Looked very, oh. looked very colourful. I'm not criticizing. I just, uh, I had an Eagle starter jacket. Those things were nice. They were warm. <laughs> Saying that for the school bus on a, on, a, on a frigid cold day, that thing kept you hosty. But then in these, I'm I'm concerned about how warm. Marty, would, uh, how warm Johnny would be because these venues that they do roar in, they turn off, get hot. Well, 
you get as hot as the one building up in New York where our cornet was covered in sweat for that entire oh, interview. Oh, that was grim. That armory. <laughs> was it like it was like a it was like a plane shelter. It was like a plane hangar, and everybody was sweating. So someone dumped a bucket of water on. Oh, grim, grim. I noticed at this point that we're now talking about the ladder match. So mm-hmm. this hasn't been. Was this announced on Superstars? I'm going to assume so. Yeah. Because it's uh, now it's sort of out in the open. Well, they talk a bit more about it later on in the show, but I thought this is nice now because now that match is in place, so we can start to get excited about like the like. I know there were there was ladder matches between Brett and Sean on a much lower key, but this feels like the first mainstream ladder match. It's funny because Waltman in that same interview that I just referenced it. It's the 1994 timeline for commentaries. He swears because uh. Razor and Sean worked out the kinks for the ladder match on house shows against each other. You know, doing the odd house show here and there in whatever city. Kids said they had better matches on house shows than they did at Mania. I guess there's the freedom when you do a house show. There's no... There's the, 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 the stabilizers are off a little bit when you the cameras aren't on. I, there's a bootleg match between those two after summer. I gotta see it. It's gotta be just... You know, maybe like a half hour to those two free forming it and coming up with creative stuff. But I mean, it, it's not the car crash in the modern day ladder match you see where it's all intricate. You know, like I'll, I'll wedge the ladder here and then I'll happen to fall on it later. It's just two guys beating each other's asses with the ladder and then climbing it. Yeah, they they haven't they haven't turned it into a a a a stunt spectacle that it would become. It really is funny because. I never jump ahead a month here, but when, like I'll watch that match and I'll still be awed by by Sean pinballing around the ring and then around ringside, Razor just bashing him in the face of the ladder or showing it slingshot out of the ring or whatever. But a fan who's younger than us will watch that match and not get why it's so special. It will seem tame. But it's not about you know like, like it's it's not a stunt show per se. It's two guys having a war with each other, fighting for this belt. And the wrists are taking it together. I mean, to me, one of the best spots ever is, is Razor reaching over the ladder, both guys on top of it, picking Sean for a slam and just bring him over his shoulder down to the mat. I mean, that to me is still just one of the best, most underrated ladder match spots ever. But because it wasn't through a table that was on fire or a stack of seven tables or whatever, and, oh, well, you know, I guess it was okay. You know. You've got to take everything in the context of the era and I've got a note in this match and I don't know whether there's anything else you want to touch on before I get into um, Johnny Polo's exit oh we're getting to that next because uh, yeah. I'll set it up and real quick it's a Christmas break the ladder match now and Savage is very raspy at this point as I've noticed outside the ring row a Raven gets involved in the match insinuates himself I just call him Johnny Polo I, I call him Raven so Razor goes after him Chasing around the ring, kid, uh, the kid stops from the karate stance. Razor spins Raven around, picks him up, Razor's edge on the floor, and Polo is dead to the world. Um, yeah, this is this is what I meant in the sense that this felt like a big deal to see a move like this, to see somebody take a finisher on the outside. I don't feel like it happens very often. No, and and for what's worth, Johnny Polo sold it like death. Like he's not even moving. Yeah, he sold it like death, and it's uh, he could have very easily like, like you know put it out of the back of his neck to sell pain, 
But instead of doing that, you just lay there completely motionless. And it's even more effective because it's the razor's edge on the floor. You know, how else would you sell that other other than I'm not going to move? I could be paralyzed. It was great. It was great. And it just and, and then when they came back from the break, it was the whole thing of the jeopardy that now the Quebecers don't have their manager in their corner. They don't have their ace up their sleeve. So for the better part of this match, it's it's one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon just just doing over the Quebecers. Yeah, they have clear control here, and the, and the Quebecers don't have, as you noted, their main uh, main vessel for interference here. And Vince actually gets in a, a relevant pop culture reference. He refers to the Daytona 500 the day before as won by he he calls him Sterling Martin. It's actually Sterling Marlin, but it's, it's whatever. They're talking about he lost 279 straight races, but he came through yesterday. It was a monumental win, and we can see a monumental win right here. It's like okay, like. That's a plausible reference you could work in there. Something recent that's relevant to pop culture, the Daytona 500, the biggest, one of the biggest races of the year, and you've tied it into a wrestling match. The guy winning, these guys could win. It's like, that's so much better than everything else he tries to squeeze into a show. He just made it feel seamless in comparison, which I was a big fan of. We get a really funny spot here. Oh, man. Perhaps not so funny if you're a male like us. Where Pierre goes for a leapfrog, Razor drops down. He puts his elbow out, and Pierre lands nerds first right on the corner of the elbow. <laughs> that looked painful. I'm not sure if that was legit or not. Pierre may have humanized on that one. Poor PCO. Oh. He's indestructible now. I challenge Scott Hall to do that again. It's like when you, it's like when you first punch punch King Hippo in the gut and you realize that's his weak spot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a great callback. A super punch out reference. I'm down with that. John, I want super, P I want King Pierre getting punched by Razor Mac. <laughs> this is the noise that the, big, that the King Hippo made when you punched him below. Or the sound he makes when he, he says he's just going to punch him with that whop, 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 when he misses whop, 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 whop. And he tears backwards. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Razor Kid was a good tandem offense. Savage calls is the first time they've ever teamed together. They were part of the Survivor Series. I was Savage say. on the team. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's the first time they've teamed together in my eyes. You watched them at Survivor Series. No, I didn't. You were there I wasn't days. looking. I was be- I was beguiled by Crush. I stopped you with him. <laughs> the kid's limping bad at this point. Diesel comes out and stands in the aisleway. We get a really cool visual of the camera panning up on Diesel. You can see the matching is in the mirror image of his shades. Oh, that was mwah. That was Kevin Dunn at his finest. That was Kevin Dunn zooming in on the on the on the glasses of Diesel. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So weird to hear someone praise Kevin Dunn in any wrestling aspect. He gets a kick in a lot, but that was a good shot. You can't deny that. It could have been Kerwin selfies. You never know. It would. It'd be Kev. Kev does all the work. <laughs> if you'd say so. <laughs> so Quebecers take over the match, and Vince is disgusted that Jacques's working over the bad leg. Pierre got hit in the nuts five minutes ago. Yeah, but that's different. His nuts aren't torn. Well, they might be now. They, they they probably are now. To be fair. <laughs> we, we get this really funny moment where where Jacques and Pierre attempt the. There's one move they do. Jock throws Pierre under the ropes and backdrops him onto the downed opponent. But Kid moves out of the way, so Pierre's hurt. Jacques is punch drunk for some reason. He, instead of trying to prevent Kid from making a hot tag, he's kind of like like meandering toward Pierre. Kid makes the hot tag to Razor. Jacques assumes his drunken fighting stance, like, ah, oh, it's you. And Razor punches him right in the mouth. <laughs> Splendid. <laughs> Jacques is the consummate heel. And then Razor proceeds to hit the worst noggin knocker in history. But it's not his focus. I think Jacques and Pierre's weren't on the same page, which, how do you screw this up? He's got them both by the heads. He tries to pull them toward each other, but they're not budging. It's like they're, it's like they're two magnets of the same force, and they, and they can't go toward one another. So they kind of just, all of a sudden, kind of sort of fall into one each other. And it's like, it looks so awkward. What do you, who do you put that down to? I think maybe they were, everyone was just tired. Maybe it was. It was a long match, and it was part. And it was, yeah, I think it was a long match. Maybe Pierre's still mad about getting hit in the nuts, and he's, he's trying to spite Razor, isn't he? <laughs> or he's just spiting Razor. Was uh, it around about this point that we cut to a shot of Diesel and Macho Man, who is in complete nonsense mode all night, <laughs> says to Vince, "That Diesel looks fifteen feet." It's like, yeah. So I, I'm presuming then that Savage is doing the commentary underground or with a lack of depth <laughs> perception. And and Vince, and Vince actually goes like, he might be. And <laughs> Vince is like, whatever. And Vince goes, wait, wait, what the hell am I doing? He goes, actually, he's about seven feet tall. It's like, see, Savage is a bad influence on him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Smokey's cool, Vince. <laughs> He's done something backstage. He's got he's got pepped up in some. I'm not one to cast aspersions on somebody who's not here to defend himself, but he's done something backstage to pep himself up. He's just talking so much. He's talking more pseudo savage nonsense than normal tonight. Tommy, this is a man who cut a promo with coffee creamers in his hand. <laughs> this is a cup of coffee. This is a cup yes. of coffee. Oh, the cream of the crop. 
uh, we got some bad timing here on the finish because Diesel's starting to lumber down to the ring. Razor takes PCO, drops him with the Razor's Edge, go over the cover. We have new champions unless something happens. Well, something does happen. Shawn Michaels with and his ponytail jumped a rail. He's about three seconds too late. One. Shawn jumped a rail. Two. Referee develops a kink in his shoulder. Waits. Shawn breaks the pin up for, just before three, which should have been a count of six. And it's a DQ. The last time I saw a referee do that was I was watching Triple Mania last year. And the referee just knew when the finish was. So there was this one match where the ref, with the guy was pinning the other guy, he wouldn't count because he was like, that's not the finish. Yeah, that's... Uh, you hate those moments when they happen because it just it takes you out of the moment. Like, oh yeah, they're all, they're all working together. Damn it. Just, I mean, I can't blame the referee here because Sean was just late. Yeah, Sean was. And, I don't know why. I don't know why Sean was late, but Sean was late for the breakup. So that was definitely down to Sean and not and not the ref or whoever cued Sean. Yeah, maybe. It, it was unfortunate, but I mean, it didn't hurt it too much. It wasn't like it was super glaring. No, that was it. Because by the time the by the time the, the, the dust had all been kicked up, we'd all forgotten how late he was anyway. Yeah. So afterwards, we had the big Sean Diesel Kid Razor sort of standoff. Which of course sets up WrestleMania, and what I don't get is if you're Sean, wouldn't you want Razor to win the belt so that you and Diesel can challenge them for him? You'd have thought so, wouldn't you? But then maybe they're not in contention for those belts, and maybe it's a case of he just wants to, he doesn't want Razor to win any belts. Well, it could be that too. I mean, it is plausible, but you figure Sean would just want to bet you know all the gold that he can possibly get. But it is what it is. Because I think maybe Sean is like, well, I'm going to take the Intercontinental belt from you at WrestleMania, and I don't, and I want you to have nothing at the end of WrestleMania, not even the mm-hmm. tag team titles. Good shout. I enjoyed this match. It was great. There was they gave them time, they gave them pace. There was, it was a nice. It was a nice bit where the the good guys were triumphing. Sean Waltman is brilliant, getting the heat. And Razor was co- and when Razor came in, the match lit up again, and and it all serves a purpose. It all builds to something. Diesel coming out and standing there was building towards the ladder match, as was the appearance of Sean at the end. It was just it all felt it was a it was a build to a wrestling show combined with a really good match. One mm-hmm. didn't begat the other. I got to thinking about this a little bit because I was. Th- I was listening to Jim Cornette give praise to uh, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus at the recent AEW event, which I thought he'd hate those two because, you know, they're, they're a bit cartoonish, but he actually praised them and saying, you know, that this act has potential if you do it right. And you look at their act, it's, you know, the little guy gets the heat, and he, he's sympathetic, you know, you, you, you love Jungle Boy. It's the hot tag to the big heater who comes in and cleans house, which Luchasaurus can, uh, does very, very, very well. And I got to thinking about the new, those sorts of tag teams. He's a little guy who can go, but he gets beat on because he's so small. He tags Big Brother who comes in and cleans house. Like, would Razor and Kid have been the best possible team for that? Because Kid, because Kid sells like mad. He knows how to work. He's, he's both athletic and smart. But but he, he's also a great underdog babyface. So that when so that when he's getting beaten down, you know, you get, everybody gets behind him. And he tags in the heavy hitter Razor, who throws these great punches and knows how to take over a match. Is that the best possible 
a big brother little brother team you could think of in the current wwf in 1994 i mean overall like like, like it comes to mind for that sort of that oh sort like of role. like of all time yeah oh no 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 x-pac and kane oh good shout x-pac and kane are surely the best for that that's actually a very very good and, call and they even they even played on it when they had that summer in 99 where it was uh the land of the giants where it was undertaker mm-hmm. and big show against x-pac and kane mm-hmm. and it was and k and x-pac was desperate to prove that he could hang with the other guys and there was a there was a bit where big show sort of arrogantly tried to pin x-pac put his boot on him after a choke slam and Xbox kicked out and it lit the place up. SummerSlam 99 it was, I seem to remember. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I think that was that was your best one, I would have thought. They did they did try a couple. Like there was Big Show and Tajiri and Big Show and Spike Dudley in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, but I th- I think yeah, I think Kane and Xbox were the were the finest. I'm not saying these two were the best, but it could have worked if they kept going. I think I think Enzo and Cass had that dynamic. Because Enzo oh, could take course. a beating. Yeah, Enzo and Cass. Enzo could take a beating. Say what you will about the man. He, he's definitely a flawed in some ways. But they were born for that role. And then Cass does have some great fire. I mean, if you get a hot tag to Cass. I think Cass is going to be the... I think Cass's comeback story is going to resonate with so many people. I think I think you do for a big run of the business. I, I'd like to see him back again. Mm. I mean, you can't teach size. I mean, you can't teach that. But, but it's uh, it's uh, I think Cass has the drive to make this work. And he's in, a, he's he's in on... the best shape now that he's been in ages. Hopefully, he stays on a good path and does well for himself. I know uh, it was really, really weird being at House of Hardcore last year when he had that seizure and fell to the floor. It was a very scary moment. So hopefully, he's hopefully it was just an anomaly, a one-time thing. Hopefully, he stays healthy and does great for himself. Yeah, hope hopefully, I'm sure he will now. He sounds like he seems like he's in a good place. And then he has he, he has everything you need plus you know, plus that determination. I wouldn't mind seeing him in AEW actually. Yeah, I think that'd work. I think him in AEW would certainly work. He, he needs some big guys there. I think. I think he needs a few heavyweights. So we. So after this match, we had the big, you know, the big standoff, and you know, obviously we're building Sean and Razor for Mania. Then we get an even bigger announcement for next week's Raw. World title match, Yokozuna versus Macho Man Randy Savage. This is out of left field. Now, I love Savage, but I, mm-hmm. I'm confused as to why this is happening. Well, I guess Savage never got his rematch against Flair when he lost the belt a year and a half earlier. So... Why not? It's Randy Savage. I'm not going to turn down a Randy Savage title match. No, you're right. We shouldn't. We absolutely shouldn't <laughs> refuse a Savage title match. I'm just surprised it's happening at all. But what I like is, I like the way, like where they've placed this in the show. Mm-hmm. Where they placed it before the next match. Because then we have a slightly different dynamic to Savage for the rest of this show. Because oh, yes, it turns into Savage sort of scouting... And, and and make a reference to what's going to happen after he after he beats Yokozuna for the title in, in his eyes. Yeah, he references WrestleMania and he says, you know, I'm going to beat Yokozuna, then I'm going to beat Luger, then I'm going to beat Bret Hart. Like like I I, I loved it when Savage said, I'm going to turn WrestleMania upside down. Like I love that. I love that. 
Yeah, there's no uh, there's no screwing here. It's like it's like, well, I, I hate to throw things in disarray. No, it's I want to throw things in disarray. That's the Macho Man I know. Yeah, that's brilliant. So Cornette's out here now. He's he, he's a little flummoxed because he's looking at Savage, and he really he's, he he realizes you know he's two title matches at Mania potentially. He's got to defend a belt next week, Yokozuna. So there's a lot in Cornette's mind here. He starts hyping next week, but for right now, he introduces his designated hitter because he's going to hit the hitman, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. I always forget that Tom Pritchard had beautiful flowing hair. He certainly did, and I'll, and I'll tell you what, his brother actually had a, had a decent do also back when he had, had his mullet. He did. A good family of hair in the Pritchards. Uh, yes. Uh, does Tom have a podcast of any sort? Um, <laughs> something to wash your hair with, with Tom Pritchard. <laughs> it's a podcast all about hair products. John, if you could design the album art for that, that'd be great. Well, Love you, you John. I just said, well, you know, and I never realized we haven't seen enough share in a few weeks on this show. <laughs> so much for all those vignettes. Pritchard has the Smoking Mountain Tag Team title with him because Cornell knows how to uh, advertise. He does indeed. Because it, if you're going to promote uh, you know, Smoking Mountain, you do it in Poughkeepsie, New York. So Bret Hart versus Tom Pritchard. Now, these two have no issue, but it's going to be a technical match, you can tell, because it's Bret Hart and Tom Pritchard. Savage is already in the zone here. He's going to beat everybody. As you've noted, first Yoko, then Luger, then Bret. He's going to be the champ once again, brother. It's going to be Macho Mania Part 3. But I, I, I don't think it interferes too much with the match. I don't know whether you disagree, but I don't think it inter- interferes too much. I think it's just a nice a, an added extra to the match it's now it's a nice new wrinkle to Savage's commentary for the show I agree with you on that because let's say Brett was going to be Tom Pritchard yeah it's I mean there's no ways about it. so you know you're kind of up in the ante a bit by adding a talking point and I will say Savage's commentary was way way better than the other person we had talking during this match and I, and I don't mean Vince well first at this point Vince takes occasion to compare the Hart family to the Jackson family in light of Michael's recent problems. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it's, that, in hindsight, it's not a great call. Well, I mean, it wasn't the worst attempt at, at melding pop culture with wrestling, because at least the Jacksons are like, a, a, you know, they're like pop culture royalty. So, I mean, he could have done worse there. He didn't say like, oh, they're like that family in Iowa who was caught hoarding dead bodies in their basement. Like, just like, Straining for something. At least everyone knows about the Jacksons. Although Stu is Joe Jackson is is very bizarre. John. <laughs> Stu Hart is Joe Jackson. Careful now. So who would Owen be? Owen Which, would uh, be um Janet. <laughs> I was gonna say Jermaine. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bruce can be Tito. <laughs> Actually, that's a... You know what? That is very apt. Bruce Hart is Tito Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Like, not really like the best one, but certainly like a good runner. But don't tell him he's not the best one. (laughs) Keith is Janet with that (laughs) moustache. That 
I'll tell you what, that makes the Super Bowl 38 seem a lot different now. <laughs> Keith Hart up there with uh, Justin Timberlake. Oh, boy. Anyway, so Brett's working the arm and is pointing out that Nikolai Volkov and his red pinstripe suit are in the front row. He's so Nikolai Volkov row. is in the front row and there's no chairs around him. Right. Uh, uh, the floor level audience goes about maybe seven or eight rows deep. Every row but Nikolai's, or every, every front row seat for Nikolai has at least seven or eight chairs behind him. Not Nikolai's, there's nobody behind him. It's like they just wedged a chair in so that he could watch the matches from the front row, like they feel bad for him. It's, like, it's almost charitable on their Aww. part. So, Could have seen Nikolai uh, Volkov, though. Savage says, he's as ugly as ever. <laughs> well, that's just mean. Maybe they are building to Savage versus Volkov. For the title. Oh, my God. First, I'll beat Yoko. Then I'll beat Luga. Then I'll beat Hart. Then I'll beat Volkov. <laughs> I know Nikolai once challenged the belt in the flag match on Serious main event against that backstabber Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Savage will be everybody Hogan beat, but better. That's his mission. Do it. So, we tell this in 1984 because uh, they go to break during an armbar. And when we come back, Vince uses the Jackson against you segue into talking to Donnie Warburg on the phone. From New Kids on the Block. Yes. Or as they're now called, N-K-O-T-S-B-T-B. Yeah, they're trying to, uh, I guess, differentiate themselves from the sort of teeny bopper girls love them image that they called the made. Like, hey, we're kind of edgy. Like, we're called by initials now. So that's why so, they did it. I wasn't sure whether it was a weird Vince thing. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing on that. I know nothing of them except I know like I know two members of the group. I know him and Joey McIntyre. Right. I know Lucky nobody. Lucky Mark. Else. He, he wasn't in New Kids on the Block. Ah, oh, fair too, enough. He was too good for that. <laughs> he talks a lot about Marky Mark in this bit, though. Yeah, because uh, that's much in the same way that uh, Venus, Venus and Serena Williams' dad talks about Venus and Serena Williams. I know them. I'm related to them. <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg is now currently on the TV show Blue Bloods, where he plays a cop. And I believe he is the son of Tom Selleck on the show. He's a good dad to have Tom Selleck. He looks like a good dad. Tom Selleck today looks the same as Tom Selleck in 1980. Tom Selleck is immortal, unless proven otherwise. If Tom Selleck versus Dan Severn and a mustache off, who wins? Oh, Tom Selleck, obviously. Winner faces Don Fry. <laughs> Winner faces Burt Reynolds. Oh, wow. We'll be getting the bird again in the moment. Oh, we certainly will. <laughs> so, Warburg's on the phone because uh, his Bret Hart's master plan is so boring that we have to call Marky Mark's brother during them. And he says, I've been watching WrestleMania since number one. <laughs> if, if ever a sentence confirmed that you are not a wrestling fan and know nothing of what you're discussing, it is that one. See, I thought... As he warmed into this, I thought he sounded quite wizened because he talked like quite a lot about the Brett and the Owen story and he was mentioning like the interview on on superstars and stuff like that. Like I thought he sounded like he knew what he was talking about after that. Whether he had cheat sheets, maybe, I don't know. 
I'm going to assume it was a cheat sheet because he he sounded. Uh, I was reading from the say good night, Springton. There will be no encore. <laughs> Vince calls uh, Vince calls Donnie and Mark recording superstars because I guess I guess singer is banned. It's basically like saying wrestler. Exactly, that's what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Warburg was compelled to get involved after seeing Brett and Owen at odds. What? I saw two brothers fighting, so therefore I wanted to be a ring announcer. <laughs> yes. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> as much as being named Rocco Gibraltar makes sense. <laughs> and then he says this sentence, which... Okay. In my family, only my brother and I are wrestling fans. Parents not into it, uncles and aunts not into it. Some cousins might like it, but in my family, it's basically just us. So I'm known as the wrestling fan of the family. Okay. And, and if someone tries to discuss wrestling with me, they sound fairly unknowledgeable about it, understandably. So what Donnie Warburg says next was very non-wrestling savvy-esque. He says, I saw Brett speaking the other day in wrestling. <laughs> like like it's a language I saw Brett speaking in the wrestling he yes. said headlock grapple takedown <laughs> it's like, it's like, we'd say are you going to the wrestling show tonight you'd say are you going are you going to the matches tonight it's like what your aunt would say to you <laughs> who knows anything about it but just trying to sound hip and knowledgeable about it and you know cater to your likes I saw him speaking the other day on the wrestling I think Donnie knows who Hulk Hogan is, and that's about it. I guess you missed the best part of the match here. With fans chanting, let's go, Brett, and Nikolai's chanting it with him while pumping his fist. <laughs> oh, Nikolai's adorable at ringside. <laughs> that part killed me. So Cornette tries to get involved. He has his racket keyed up. Savage jumps out from behind the, the table, pulls, pulls the racket away, knocks Cornette down into the ring steps. This was a violent spill. <laughs> this was yeah this this was a little bit heavy yeah Cornette goes down uh, like a ton of bricks here he really smacks his head on the back of the steps yeah. like I like and then actually maybe wince a bit when he when he fell backwards like Savage was a little bit rough uh, I think Cornette was controlling that bump for the most part because Savage it was just Savage grabbing the racket away and just a, a basic shove Savage go back to the table. He's going, Tennis, anyone? He possesses the racket <laughs> and mugging for the camera. We hit another commercial break. Tom Pritchard match, no disrespect. At this point, Brett probably should have won maybe about six minutes. But I'm okay with Brett versus Tom Pritchard. It's Brett versus Tom Pritchard. So we come back to the match from commercial. Cornette trips Brett. He's okay, apparently, Cornette, thankfully. So Brett gets knocked to the floor by Pritchard. Then out comes Owen. So this is a kind of a weird bit here. Owen walks over to Brett. You're expecting, you know, a kick to the head, kicking the ball, something like that. Just whatever Owen had to do just to hurt his brother further. You were keeping the, his, his leg out of his leg, so. That's what I thought he was doing. I thought we were going to get a leg out of the leg. No, that's not for pay-per-views. This is, this is free TV. I'm guessing anyway. So he taunts Brett. He tells him to get up. Then he picks him up and just throws him back into the ring. That's it. Then Owen starts to leave. 
Pritchard charges Brett, hits his knee on the buckle, falls to the mat holding his leg. Puts, Brett applies a sharpshooter, and someone anticlimactically wins. And Owen stands in the aisle looking stunned. Yeah, that was yeah. I liked his reaction to that because he was always like, "I'm going to chuck him in the ring so he can lose." And then Brett rallies back and always, and he has that moment, that moment where he goes, "Oh God!" Like he won anyway. <laughs> now, if I want to take a cinder block and smash Brett in the head with it, then throw him in, and then Brett won anyway, then the face would have been more apt. But it's like, Jesus Christ! He's like the Road Runner. <laughs> you can't, can't kill him. But no, he just rolled him in. He helped him back into the match. That's all he did. But he, he must have thought he was so badly hurt that he he couldn't rally. So he was his way of going. Come on, you you can't recover. Get back in the ring and fight. I was going for like an Owen Hart training montage, where it's just him rolling somebody into the ring in and out to like you know, some '80s heartache music. And it's like like these are his big moves. Just keep rolling him in and out of the ring. He'll be knocked out eventually. He'll lose his uh. I'm so dizzy and imbalanced from all the rolling in and out of the ring that you got him. But what do I know? I'm not, I'm not a wrestler. <laughs> you do yourself down, sir. But I still like it as a build. I still like it as a way of, of, of getting us towards Owen and Brett. It's just another, it's an alternative way of continuing to keep that rivalry ticking over without the obvious runs out and attacks him type scenario. I guess so. It was simple and it makes you want to you still want to see them actually clash with one another, and you haven't given that away yet. Exactly. Aside from the one, aside from the one kick to the leg, out of the leg. So Brett, so Brett challenges Owen afterwards. Owen stares him down from the aisle way. Referees break it up, and they move on. And we get very close to Brett versus Owen at WrestleMania. But this was great, though. Heavenly Body Tom Pritchard versus Bret Hart. Great TV match. Two great TV matches this week. And no filler, just just two great TV matches. All killer, no filler. Absolutely. Now for the filler. <laughs> we go to the WrestleMania report with Todd Pentengill. I, I, I got to say, I haven't mentioned it yet in, in the past couple episodes, but the song for this is great. It sounds almost like, like an international news show. It has, it has this intrepid feel to it. I love this WrestleMania theme tune. For me, this is like second in the WrestleMania theme tunes. It's number one my way. No, it's whoa, whoa, WrestleMania. Death I will fight tell. you. Pop it up, pop it up, pop it up. My way is third. I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> you can't because you're off of America. I could pay somebody over there to do it. No, you couldn't because dollars don't work over here. It converts pounds. on PayPal. <laughs> it converts on PayPal. Nothing. You can't. What's the Pope got to do with it? That is the last bit of comedy from me this week. Good night, I London. Bet, <laughs> I bet Sam would do it. Yeah, he probably would actually. I get the vibe <laughs> from the office that he probably just want to chin me at some point. Nah, he, he's nice. He's just quiet. <laughs> he's adorable. We love Sam. So we go. So we go to the Mania Report here. It's Todd Pentengill dressed in every piece of Mania merchandise imaginable. He even has the um, he even has a, a WrestleMania brand Q-tip lodged in his ear for, for, for the uh, duration. But before we get into the match for the show, we go into the celebrities because that's what's more important in Vince's mind. 
The celebrity list for WrestleMania 10 includes, and, I, and I'm sure I haven't missed anybody here, Little Richard in 1994. <laughs> Burt Reynolds. I always get yeah. him and Tom Selleck mixed up. I used to when I was young. I do now. Okay. I'm old. But yes, we have freaking Burt Reynolds, the man, Burt Reynolds. A man whose filmography has classics and garbage alike. <laughs> He's a well-traveled man. If, if you want to know what part of his career he was in at this point, bear in mind that this comes a year after he was in Cop and a Half. Okay, so we know where he is. His asking price is relatively low. Exactly. He, hey, Burt was free that day. How about that? <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg is going to be there. Then Pettengill, if you can tell this was taped, says, if you miss Mania, you missed the news on that one. He was just on the phone with Vince. <laughs> They normally Andy get Garth. that right, though, when they do the WWF report bits. They normally get, like, the timing of them right. Usually. But maybe Donnie, like, agreed to, at the last minute to call in or whatever. So the yeah. bit was already done. Yeah, it could have been could... a last-minute thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah Donnie Wolver's a big star. We, we get the very underrated Jenny Garth, who apparently, mm -hmm. hated, who apparently hated being there. Really? I can't remember where I heard that from, but... I. I I think she was just very um, not so keen on being at WrestleMania. Oh. Uh, of course, she resurfaced recently as part of Beverly Hills 90210 reunion. Fair enough. Uh, although Luke Perry was not on there since he passed away earlier this year, and it's, it's weird because he has a son in the wrestling business now. It's he just, does indeed, yes. Hello, Jungle, Jungle Boy. Boy. How are you doing? It's weird. It all ties in together somehow. Jenny Garth, Luke Perry... I bet Ian Ziering could wrestle. Tori Spelling probably not so much. Uh, let's see here. We have... Um, uh, we, so you mentioned Jen, Jenny Garth, and we go into... Okay, I think I, I, I think I have to explain this next one. Bucky and Vinny. Yeah, you have to run this one by me, because it, it didn't resonate with the UK fans. It doesn't resonate with me either. So... Oh, I thought I was hoping it would at least with you. This was something I blotted out of my memory a long time ago, apparently, because years later, back when back when twenty four seven was a thing, pre WWE Network, um, I think it was it must have been this episode popped up on there or whatever, and my brother says watching, he says, "Hey, remember Bucky and Vinny?" And I just stared at him. No, he says, "They're supposed to be at WrestleMania 10. and I'm like. Who the hell are Bucky and Vinny? They're apparently two former New York City cab drivers who were also film critics and had a show on Showtime where they reviewed movies. Okay. How very it, random. They're like podcasters, basically. <laughs> Before Brian and Vinny, it was Bucky and Vinny. So, spoiler alert here. These two men do not appear at WrestleMania at all. These two men no-showed WrestleMania. So they, did, they didn't come along at all? No, I... Do you know no, what? They, they look just... like they don't like wrestling. So if they didn't want to come, they probably wouldn't come. <laughs> yeah, they probably found out that, uh... You know, they didn't... The 10-man tag was getting pulled from the shows. They said, you know what? We're on here to see Bob Holly anyway. And they just went home. <laughs> That's probably what happened. So... 
We have one more name. It is Cy Sperling, the president of the Hair Club for Men. And he's the special guest hair consultant. Yes. Wow. That would be like today having Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow, be a WrestleMania celebrity. The the as the pillow correspondent. <laughs> yes, there's a match. Anywhere someone gets smothered. <laughs> no, Mike, no. It's like, well, that's that's it. Heath Slater. <laughs> oh, poor Heath. Well, way to go, John. Can you Photoshop? Uh, Mike. Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell. That was his name. Mike Lindell. <laughs> Uh, smothering Heath Slater and then tag Heath Slater in it with no context. <laughs> no, don't do that. John, don't do that part. Thanks, John. That was the ending to the Andre Battle Royal. <laughs> <laughs> the day Mike Lindell snapped. <laughs> so, Penjo has the balls to say, and more of Hollywood's elite. Yeah, I, I don't know how he didn't say that without laughing. Now, Bert, I'll give you, because Bert was in Smokey and the Bandit and many other great movies. He was in The Longest Yard. I mean, Bert's filmography is uh, it's quite impressive if you get past Cop and a Half and a few <laughs> other ones. And this is, this is pre-Boogie Nights. So oh we have God. Bert and the other Wahlberg here. Jeez, it's true, isn't it? So Burt Reynolds has worked with both Wahlbergs, one at Boogie Nights and one at WrestleMania 10. What a glittering CV that is. How how was that fact left out of Birdiology last year or, <laughs> or uh, obituary? I, I don't think it would make the cut, to be honest. What's well, WrestleMania 10? I mean, it's full of... It's, more of, <laughs> it's basically it's, it's, the <laughs> cop and a half of wrestling. No, the, the Tom, it's full of Hollywood's elite. <laughs> and size <Yeah>. spurling. <laughs> so... Let me just run through real fast. We've got Little Richard, Burt Reynolds, Donnie Wahlberg, Jenny Garth, Bucky and Vinny, and Cy Sperling. That is Hollywood's elite, baby. <laughs> that is a Dancing with the Stars cast. There's, that's a whole thing of, and, and I'm sure it's not me, not just me, but so many of those names wouldn't have resonated with an audience outside of America. Burt Reynolds would. Maybe Little Richard. Little Richard, yeah, I suppose. Donnie Wahlberg, I suppose New Kids on the Block. Bucky and Vinny, yeah, I mean, definitely not. Cy Sperling, definitely not. Jenny Garth, possibly. Was Beverly Hills 90210 a thing over there? Uh, we didn't really have... The, it was on Sky, but not many people had Sky. So not, okay. a, not a massive audience would have had it. Mind you, saying that, saying that, I am talking out of my bottom because if you were watching this show in 94 in the UK, you would have had Sky. And this is on the same channel as... Beverly Hills 90210. So you probably would have known who Jenny Garth was. Yeah, but she's not a major star. She was kind of secondary to, um, God, I can't remember her name now from the show. The one, uh, the dark hair girl. Jeez, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old here. From 90210? Yes, the dark hair one. Uh, Shannon Doherty. Shannon there Doherty. you go. I think Jenny Garth was a bigger name. Over Shannon Doherty? In the UK, probably, I would say. I mean, hey, look, send me a tweet if I'm wrong, at Tom Campbell. Was she a bigger star than Tori Spelling? No. Okay. No one's a bigger star than Tori Spelling. 
Tori Spelling was a Shane McMahon of Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> we knew dad's running the show. She was the best in the world. So now we go to the match rundown. It's a pretty impressive match rundown for the most part. For, we start off with Rain, Savage, and Crush, Falls Count Anywhere, which Pettengill curiously says, this match alone is worth a whole bowl of sushi as far as I'm concerned. What a weird thing to say. I guess because the Yokozuna thing that's forthcoming. Um, I don't see how that fits in. <laughs> well, a whole bowl of sushi, Yokozuna eats sushi. I wasn't saying it was a great reference. But like obviously, because Savage too. is about to face... I Yokozuna, like Yokozuna is the same faction. It's, it's tenuous, to but I'm trying to get in his head. <laughs> I love sushi. I love eating things that are merely unconscious. <laughs> then we get the Razor Sean ladder match. It's, I'm very happy to hear about this match, but I do love the fade-in of the ladder graphic that appears behind them, like a halo. I like it. It's like it's a surprise. Like, oh, there's a ladder. <laughs> oh, Lord, guide this ladder. Tag team title match, Quebecers versus a team that they've possibly never even been in the same room with to this point. Men on a mission. Yeah. Men, men getting, the mom getting themselves a shot. Sure. What happened to the Steiner brothers? Oh, yeah, they're not really around anymore. They're, they are very out of favor right now. If you... Speaking of out of favor, if you think Vince hasn't given up on this women's division already, we have a graphic of Alundra Blaze holding the title, and it says Alundra Blaze is going to be in action, like it's an episode of WWF Wrestling Challenge. What a well, it's it's both a it's both a promising thing and a really sad thing. The fact that the women's title's in the picture, but it's almost like at WrestleMania she's going to face someone, but uh, who knows? She'll be in action. Not, not even a mystery opponent, but just hey, she's going to be in action. But thanks to the Men on a Mission rap, which we will get to in a future episode, uh, I always know, I always remember who Alundra Blaze faced at WrestleMania 10. You actually remember the word to it? Lalani Kai will be in a daze because she must face Alundra Blaze. Thank you. <laughs> That's just off the top of my head. <laughs> Dying and dig, you know they like to joke. Bam, bam, man, Luna will go up in smoke. Okay, I think I, know, I think I know what the punishment should be for Clash of Champions next month. <laughs> should it be me rapping WrestleMania 10? No, you haven't lost yet. Okay. <laughs> How sad losing. is that? I've just gone, oh, I guess I'm going to lose. <laughs> you fearless you. <laughs> so we have those matches that are somewhat tenuous, but I think those are tenuous. Earthquake versus Ludwig Borga. Oh, I can't wait for this one. I, I don't know, remember Venom Mission rapping about it. <laughs> Maybe Louis Borger rapped about it. He did have a match at WrestleMania. LL Cool Borg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Finland. Finland. I'm going back to Finland. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I have no more words for that. Just, that's all I can come up with. Although Mama said knock you out would fit him better. Because he's a knockout artist. Anyway. Nice. Mixed tag match, Doink and Dink versus Batman Bigelow and Luna Vachon. I guess the men can only fight the men and the women and children can only fight the women and children. <laughs> yes, it's Titanic rules. 
Yeah. So, so Dink and Luna have to go first. <laughs> and then if there's any room, then Bigelow and Dink will fight each other. <laughs> and then we have the three-way parlay here. Yoko Luger, Brett Owen, winner of the World Time Match versus Brett. Oh, we might have Savage in there. That's right, because Savage could always squeeze his way into the picture here. Talking of so, squeezing in, right? Mm-hmm. I saw the time left on this episode of Raw as Yokozuna's music hit. I was like, I presume we something or something happens and they don't. This doesn't quite make the cut. I don't know, but um, I wasn't. I wasn't confident they'd squeeze this in. Yes, yeah, so Yokozuna. Uh, Yokozuna's music hits. Out comes him, Cornette, and Fuji, and Yoko, of course, is eyeing Savage over inside. So something big is about to happen, and we go to commercial. We come back, and we see not Yokozuna, not Randy Savage, not even Jim Cornette. We see Mark Marrow. I mean, little Richard. <laughs> Mark, Mark Richard. Yes, or, or Johnny B. Bad. So he, he he's in this very dimly lit room. And about all the wild men of the WWF. Well, he, he's going to show you why he's the real wild man of rock and roll, little Richard, at WrestleMania. Does he say WrestleMania or does he say Wrestling Mania? I, I didn't catch that. Did he, he might could have said Wrestling Mania. It sounded like he said Wrestling Mania. I'm going to the wrestling with Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> These were the summer fests of its day. It, it might have been. I got to say, there is nothing worse than a celebrity involvement in wrestling where they have no interest or product knowledge whatsoever. It helps if they at least pretend to care. Yeah, like when Hugh Jackman was there, you could tell he was having the time of his life. Yeah. He marked out, he marked out when he met the Brooklyn Brawler backstage. Like he was just happy to be there. It should be. But, a, you can't really. You can't really say you can only come to our show if you're a fan because you want to get the publicity in. But yeah, but I mean, at the same time, it's you, you can tell when something's funny. And it's a. Uh, it's like when Kid Rock said, you know, when when it's real, you'll feel it. When it's fake, you'll feel it too. Mm-hmm. Like a cold, dead fish to the face. So Cornet and Savage exchange threats. Savage runs in the ring, points it everywhere. The heels get cheered for it, indicating what's going to happen next, which the match had already happened three weeks earlier because of this bizarre timeline we're in. See, it's interesting because I thought, based on... before, You know, you started the episode by saying this we're going to go to a taping from a couple of weeks back because I assumed that... Because this episode was live, they were getting mm-hmm. in the ring and then they were going to cut and then immediately they were going to record the next episode. They did, but it didn't have these two on it. Right, okay. They jump ahead two weeks. Why they filmed it this way, I have no idea. You'd be gutted, though, if you heard Jim and that coming out and giving it all this. About, like, oh, Savage, you can't beat Yokozuna. And then the match doesn't... You don't even get to see the match live. No, because it happened three weeks earlier. I don't get it. I, I, I do not get it. Maybe Cornette could, you know, draw it like in Google Hunting fashion what happened during that time frame for us. Just these same formulas up on a chalkboard. But I, I don't know. It's it, it escapes me why they did it this way. But what's done is done. That was 26 years ago. Exactly. It doesn't matter anymore. But it was. Do you no. know what? I, don't, I thought. I still thought those last few moments was were great to build to next week. We had two solid matches and a very focused build to next week. And not just saying, 
between any two guys here. We're talking about the world champion and the biggest star in the company facing off for the belt next week. And in, and, the, and a match that could turn WrestleMania upside down. So there's a lot going on here. A lot happening. But I enjoyed Raw this week. I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you. And I, I think the reason why is because last few episodes just felt like filler theater with Booger doing commentary while eating food, IRS's lackluster commentary, no real big matches. It's kind of just, we got to put something on because it's Monday and we have, we, have an, we have an hour to fill. This feels like we're going to really, really give it the old college try, as they say. Yeah, it felt like that. <clears throat> this, this is probably the best episode of Raw in months. Even with Donnie Wahlberg's phone call. They kept it simple and it worked. And this is definitely a thumbs up show. And Okay, where does Savage rank on the Barley Heenan scale? Has he changed his status at all? I want to keep him where he is. I mean, maybe, controversially, bump him up a couple of notches. Because he was a bit ropey in the first match, but with a bit of focus towards something he's invested in, I thought it was a nice extra wrinkle to his work in the second match. The commentator should be able to sell you on what's coming up next. And yeah. Savage told us on what's coming up next. So I'm I'm happy to bump him up a couple of notches on the uh, on the on the what we what is it now is it the book the Booger Heenan scale? No, it's no, still the IRS the, scale. Still, it's still it's the Shyster Heenan scale. Yes, and that's uh, Savage is a solid seven and a half here, I think. Yeah, good on good on you, Savage. Good on you, and we'll see you next week to turn WrestleMania on its head, upside down. I don't know what that means. And what do you see who that commentator is going to be? <gasps> And it's on that bombshell. We say he is at JRH writing on Twitter. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. There is loads of good stuff for you to check out on the Cultaholic YouTube channel throughout the weekend, um, including a brand new episode of Straight to Hell. We've got the Dave Batista career retrospective. And on the podcasts, another another brand new episode of Wrestling Curiosities tomorrow. And on Wednesday, I'll be chatting as part of Desert Island Graps with the leader of the independent as it were mr david Starr, is going to be joining us so that'll be fun oh the product david star yeah boy he's with us this week and of course the most important part is me and justin will be back in your ears this time next week as well let's discuss randy savage versus crush or i'm sorry yokozuna not crush oh no no crush that's the wrestlemania match and we do know what that means <laughs> As Bean would say, that comes later. <laughs> he is at JRH writing. I am at Tom Campbell. We will speak to you next week. I love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 